And we're live. And we're back for another episode. 12.06 in Melbourne time, which must mean it's 9.06 in Perth time. Welcome back to our show, episode 20, another milestone for Lee and Nick, who keep at it every week. Yep, the the 3rd of December, 2020, episode 20. It's so funny, man. I just realized that, like, this is just, like, totally for show because I haven't connected them. So (laughs) I have them in my ears for no reason. So I'm just going to talk to you like this today. Thank you, sir. Thank you for talking to me. Much appreciated. So what's what's the weather like over where you are? Pretty warm, sunny, clear day. What about you? How's how's your weather treating you? It's super warm in Melbourne, but the funny thing about Melbourne is you can take a jumper out and then you go outside and then um, all of a sudden it gets really hot and then you take it off and then it gets windy, so you put it back on and then it gets hot again, so you take it off and it's humid now, so you feel like just walking around shirtless and then the cloud cover comes and then you're cold again. So oh, yes. Uh, Classic uh, Melbourne, right? Three seasons in one day, right? It's, That's what they I mean, say. I don't know anywhere else like it. It's so sporadic and you never quite know how to dress. So usually you, you, you bring options. That's how you do it here. Options. Options. It's always good to have p- options. And that reminds me of uh, that Kendrick song where he goes like, when, when plan A um, can never relay any guarantees you got to have a plan B. Right. And um, what's uh, what what's what 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 does uh, what does that mean to you? Well, what song is that? First of all, I don't know. It's just like a thing that popped into my head. I can't remember the exact like uh, song, but like it was um, from this guy because like I got a LinkedIn and like random people just send me messages, and he was telling me he works for like a plastic company. And then he's like, but I have a plan B. And I was like, wow, um, why would you have a, why, why, wh- what's, what does that mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, um, I do different kinds of things to manifest. And I, I find that like, usually there are like certain things you can focus on that you really desire, like that you're really in alignment with. And they'll manifest for you if you apply your focus mentally, if you're able to master your mental focus so that you focus exactly on that version of reality manifesting but sometimes when you manifest one thing it takes you on a different timeline and you converge away from um another thing so like if, if a door closes for something then um a plan b could be necessary but not necessarily either because you could also do some be adaptive in a way until you can go back on to a version of reality where what you want manifests it's all about timelines it's all about seeing that we're in a Basically, we have a VR headset on right now. I'm, mm. This is this is the this is breaking the fourth wall. We're in an illusion, if you want yep. to call it an illusion, but it is real as well. So that's the paradox, one of the many paradoxes of the universe. But we have a VR headset on right now. And what's funny is that we want to put another VR headset on and like go into like what we're calling virtual reality without realizing that we're already in a virtual reality. And the way this reality works, as far as I can see, is that there are infinite parallel universes. And everything that you can conceive of already exists. If you can conceive it in the mental plane, it can manifest into the physical plane. So what you're actually getting when you have thoughts is you're picking up on timelines or parallel versions of reality. So again, if you can think something, it can happen. So when you tune into that, mental mastery and mental focus is the discipline to be able to hold the vision of something happening with so much um, mental acuity and focus that 
you're able to like, there's a, such a good story in the book, Think and Grow Rich, uh, one of the classic books on wealth mindset. It's about, I think his name's John Ford, the guy who founded the Ford company. He wanted yeah. a V8 engine. Uh, at the time, V8 engines didn't exist. And his engineers told him, that's impossible. You'll never be able to make a V8 engine. So wow. Like, well, it's possible. I know it is. So, um, you know, take as long as you need and get back to me if I can do anything for you. Six months passed and they're like, we can't do it. And he's like, well, I feel that we can. So, you know, keep at it. And if there's anything you need, let me know. This went on for like another year and they came back at Christmas time. They're like, look, we literally can't do it. And he just held his ground. He's like, it can be done. And so they gave up whining and then they figured up out how to do it. And why I love that story is that he even didn't believe the experts that he was paying great money to like advise him and to do the work himself. He knew and there's something so intrinsic within him that knew that this was possible. And so he just held his vision. And, okay. and that's what it takes. But sometimes you have to hold your vision in the face of adversity. If someone yeah. tells you you can't or, you know, something very mind boggling could happen and make you want to throw your vision right out of the window and go, oh, that's impossible. I just got to let it go. It's like, yeah. well, if you hold that vision, it'll happen. It's, it's kind of like the test, right? You kind of like you kind of got to earn it, right? Like uh, sometimes. Uh, the thing that I'm like understanding, right? Like we, we can have an intuition, right? Um, and we can get really excited about something. Um, and things can go really well for us for a while, but then maybe we'll hit like a plateau, right? Like where whatever we're doing, whatever we're excited about, maybe for a while the market just isn't going to notice. But um, if you just stick at it for a while and just keep working on it, um, then you you bring it to life and then all of a sudden like uh, maybe the market will notice. Reality is an inner game. If you pay attention to your own inner self, that's where everything's happening. We try to reach out here to like change things. But mm. it's like, um, you know, I was like talking to my friend about this this morning when we were walking around the suburb and I was like, I, I leant up against a bus stop and it's like, it looks like I decided in that moment to put out my hand and lean on the bus stop. But what if I already, what if that was already decided and I just think I'm the one that did it? Okay, so is this like that. is this the concept of uh, um, destiny or something like where our like uh, well, I think is that what you're kind of good. talking about like that our like because that's that's what destiny means right that like we have like a plan set out for us in life like and like when you when you think you're doing your own free will thing you're actually just following the path or something and there's also that story about death or something where like I don't know if you've heard about it where like death comes to a town and he's like, oh, I've got an appointment with um, so-and-so. And they're like, oh, he went to this village or town like like 30 kilometers away. And he's like, oh, yeah, as, as, as it's planned. Uh, I don't know that story. It's kind of like a rough thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, okay. uh, I don't know if you get the point, right? Well, like, there's a great bit in Matrix Reloaded where um, Neo's talking to the Oracle and um, she tells him that he's already decided because he thinks he's deciding and he, she's like, you've already decided you've come here to figure out why. So, and this is how like yeah. the kinds of reality work when you make a decision mentally, then it manifests, it appears to have a time lag in the physical world. But once you've decided something mentally, um, you attract it in what I'd call the quantum field. Yeah. And, and that's what everything's created internally within. So if you know yourself, you know what you're creating and you can start to create consciously. 
which is like it brings you so much joy when you successfully manifest something that you set out to manifest. And, you know, some of us do this, but some of us aren't even conscious. Some of us are great manifestors, but aren't even conscious that we're like what we're doing. We're just on autopilot. And that was just the next thing that we wanted to cover. And so we got it. Um, But then what if you start to realize, well, hang on, I create my reality. I'm in a, I'm in a VR headset. I'm not even like, I'm not even trying to disseminate the rules to people. I'm just trying to say, play with it like what if you just if you just play with that idea that okay i'm in a simulation that i can do anything in what would i do and uh, it's kind of like what tim ferris says in the four hour work week he talks about goal setting and says that like the reason why most people new year's resolutions don't work out is because they don't set exciting enough goals so his strategy again which i'm not saying this is the only way be like vague goals as well well there's that too whereas he knew exactly what he wanted and he would set the bar very high so I think he became like world champion in like tango dancing or something like so random with like less than a year or two years experience or something weird like that. Um, and like it's such a barbaric goal, but it got him so excited that he then had enough reason to apply so much focus. And then that focus and holding the vision is what led to him being able to manifest it. So that's like a. And Another, it sounds like, like to me you're kind of describing like a recipe, right? So yeah, maybe you can apply it to like anything, and then once is. you sort of like understand it, then you can um you can apply it to just about anything else you want. But I think that's also like like a big question of like, oh, what do I want? And maybe we spend too much time thinking. But I remember that's I always remember this guy wrote a book about, and there's a TED talk about it, the paradox of choice, where we spend too much time like. Yeah. I mean, and Irene, what we're going to do where, where it's kind of arbitrary, re- really. It's like you could just choose anything and it's like you more so learn from the process of whatever goal you're trying to um, attain. Very correct. I completely agree. Like if you start somewhere, then you'll unfurl the journey as you go along and like mm. at least you pick something and then now you begin the journey rather than umming and ahhing at the starting line about what am I going to do? What am I going to choose? Yeah, because it's like it's only until you've like completed some work or done something that you can get to like a next stage and attain some thoughts or ideas that you could have never have reached until you did the thing, whatever the thing was. And even if it was a failure or whatever, you're, you're going to get to some new place where you, because of what you've done. So like all, all work is a virtue, in my opinion. And the process is actually the sweet thing because we often want to get to the end rather than to actually experience the, but why did you want to get to the end? Like the end resembles like a journey and the journey is actually uh, the experience. Like the end goal is like. Yeah. So you're like, uh, as like uh, someone that's in film, you're you're familiar with the term, the hero's journey, right? That's sort of like, uh, like, like, could you call it like a story arc or what's like the technical term for it? And like, like, can you explain it a bit better to me? Because it's like usually like most, it's kind of like how pretty much most like film or TV show will always start with like, uh, like you can always boil it down to like almost like scientifically dissecting it. Like you'll have like a character, you get to know them, they have a problem, they need to overcome it. And then like, you know, usually they overcome it or learn some lesson and then we come to the end and it's kind of like a circle, right? That's my okay. understanding. It's of like it. a universal Maybe. story. Yeah. It's our universal story. And Joseph Campbell studied, who's the author of the book uh, in around the second world war time actually he was studying um mythology he, he apparently he went to a cabin in the woods for like three or four years or something when he was doing his master's or his phd and he studied mythology and this is how through his interpretations of that 
by my understanding, is what enabled him to um, uncover this uh, pattern. And there's like certain, um, like I always remember in university getting used Shrek as the example, like um, there's the call to action is like one of the first steps. And then you can either um, accept the call to action or you can reject the call to action, but then it always finds its way back to you. So Shrek always says like, get off my swamp and tells all like the critters, the animals in the woods to go away. Um, whereas in some films, you know, the person might just accept the call to action immediately. So there's micro steps within, but there's like a predominant set of steps that the character or characters always go through. Um, I haven't taken a hammer to it, so I don't know if this is literally the universal story, but I like everything I've read from it and I understand and I identify with like, um, how the protagonist basically goes into the subconscious or the the unknown um and retrieve something and brings it back for society and funny enough that's actually uh when i did the myers-briggs that's my um that's my personality type it's called the protagonist so they actually do that's their role i think it's like only one or two percent of the population is that um personality type so like it sounds like there aren't many suckers out there that want to go in to like the darkness and rescue the princess from the dragon but for some reason that's my myers-briggs type but i guess on a universal level we're all we're all doing that you know um we're all like learning and growing and we learn by going into the unknown because if we know everything from a human level then we wouldn't we wouldn't be experiencing this simulation in the way that we have been experiencing this simulation with like a certain sense of curiosity and wonder which most of us have or even just plain confusion like if you're staying up at night just shaking your head kind of going what the hell is going on? Like lying in bed, like trying to figure out like who am I and what is this reality, yeah. which which I do a lot, but you know, it's probably more from a place of wonder rather than a place of frustration, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's for me, it's like fascinating that hero's journey thing. Cause it's like, you were kind of talking about, it takes us like the incredible thing about so many like i don't know short films or whatever is that like yeah it takes you like you were saying before like on a journey through your subconscious and like brings you to experience certain emotions and like that's sort of like the path you've chosen that you want to sort of like hold people's hand through as sort of like being a director correct so it's like obviously you need to experience those emotions before you can like figure out how to package it in like a story or in a film right yeah kind of yeah and then that then that 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 can be hard right well it's kind of like a lot of art is like that i think yeah well we me and my friends the guys that have been working on my first feature film with me have have taught and the characters in the film talk about this is that like film we feel has become more of a business recently and that these films are made from a place of like rather than self-discovery it's more for profit so very few risks are taken in Hollywood. Like, you know, that's why we see sequels. Prequels. Yeah, dude, I don't think I told you. Like, I went to the movies recently to watch, like, uh, it was so freaking surreal, my experience, right? Like, did you uh, what did you see? I went to see Tenet, right? And, like, I bought my ticket online and, like, no one even checked my ticket. I felt like I could have just walked into the place and just, like, I don't know. I think what they do now, because now you have to select your seat and you can't be sitting next to anyone. Like, everyone is at minimum separated by, like, a few seats. Um, and you select that online. Um, and, like, um, it's just, like, it just feels weird and different. Because I remember going to the movies 
like, I don't know, as like a teenager or whatever. And sometimes, you know, the person who was selling you the ticket or the popcorn would sort of like, you know, because they've seen most of it, I'd sort of have a conversation about you. Oh, this one's good or that one's funny or like share something. This time it's just like basically no human contact. And then like, um, and then, yeah, the people that sell you the popcorn or whatever, that's very, that was, I don't know. Very formal. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to name the company or whatever. Like, I'm not here to like, I, I just think this is like, you know, how, like, I don't know, maybe cinema's changed, right? And um, yeah, to be honest, like, I've, I don't have the attention span to watch most movies anymore. Like, I, I, I got bored. Like, I couldn't even tell you what Tenet's about, man. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, I, I got bored, like, and I was on, on my phone after probably like 45 minutes. Just like, yeah. That like, film was... I was telling my friend, I, that's the only film I've seen this year in the cinemas. I went to see it a couple of weeks ago and it drove me crazy. Like I hate wow. it, but I actually loved it as well. Like I, I got the message and I love the message about time. And he basically says, we have to have a new relationship to time now because everything's going all over the place. And it is resemblance of the way our reality is currently. Our reality is all over. We were living in a reality that was so ordered where you'd go to the cinema, you'd talk to the fucking guy who gives you popcorn. I'm saying I liked it, Lee, kind of. Like, that's like my romantic sort of view of the cinemas, like, that I guess I'll hold that will just exist in my memories now from, like, when I was a teenager, right? When you would rock up with your friends and there was this sort of, like, excitement sort of, like, and, you know. Yeah. Like, you know, now you know where you're going to sit. You know how many people are going to be there. Like, there's no, like... um. I don't know how to describe That's, it. It's like, crazy how I, and also, guys... I have these like memories. I remember going to see the Simpsons movie when it first came out, and it was like a full house. So everyone's that. I remember that with Shrek as well. That was one of the first movies I saw, and it's like everyone's packed in together, like all right next to each other, and like you can hear like people are talking, like because you know it's like a filled out house, right? And then it and then it goes quiet, just as like you know. Like and it's still a little bit of chatter, right? While the fucking um, uh, like trailers and ads and all that are on. But then when the when the movie's about to start, you like notice the like the like the volume drop even more. Yeah, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah and there's yeah. like a certain it's like a different atmosphere, you know, where like as like now, like I don't know, something something's gone in the magic. Like even though the screens are way better and we've got these digital projectors and like the sound is way better, like for me, there's something like something ma- some magic has like disappeared from well, my cinema experience. Part of it, like film, is meant to be an experience. Like funny enough, Christopher Nolan they wanted to put it on Netflix, uh, Tenet, and he said no because he's such a firm believer in cinema and the act of going to see a movie, like. We were raised on that to some extent, but I think it was more like I inherited that a lot more from the people I, uh, my mentors from film school. Like it's it's ceremonial in a way. You go and you don't just go see the movie and say goodbye. You have a cup of coffee afterwards. You talk about the film, and it's like a in a way like a religious experience. And I got a lot of joy out of that. And now I yeah, it's kind of like going to church. Yeah, I'm in a way, it. yeah, it's a proper experience. Um, mm. Whereas now you know you can access everything at home without ads. You don't have to pay. Well, you do pay a subscription fee every month, but you don't pay. 
20 bucks to go see it but then you don't get that it's part of seeing it with the audience you know that's the magic of it it's like a group something you ex experience together that like and it only happens once that shared experience and right it's fleeting and right you see it again you get a different experience of you with a different yeah. audience you know and depending on exactly. what city you're in or what and the relationship they each the collective has to the film you know you might some people might find it funny in toronto and then some people might find it totally not funny in paris you know um and you get like a different experience each time and that experience is you could call it sacred you know it's like a group experience but now like if there's like three seats apart and you know this would be really hard i imagine for the cinemas i don't even imagine they're making that much money pre-covid in a lot of places in australia but now like they probably get what like 25 percent of the um people coming in like uh the attendance has probably dropped by like 75 percent. i'm just guessing and it's mm. crazy to think that where you guys are there's been like virtually no covid cases and yet they still have these social distancing it's it just kind of doesn't make any sense you know like i don't tend to get too embroiled in the idea of is the virus real or is it not real like i don't know like it could be real it could be like i'm just not one of those guys like when, when i the think, news tells I me think things, when you say is it real or not i think what you're more like people can misunderstand you and i think like the point more is is it is it manufactured or is it a natural sort of is thing that? that's come out of nature and then like the thing is is like in a way it's kind of like we're at the point now where like does it really even matter in a way because it's like it it has like it is like the symbol of a transition into like some new i don't know you could that's, call it see, like that's the thing because i look where you are there's no cases it makes no sense to mm. like um socially distance people in the cinemas there's been no cases but they've done it and it's almost like they were ready to do that and like some blanket terms were like laid over culture um yeah and now culture like is logic. accepting these new things that would have never like to me that would seem absurd right so no, no. the thing that we're getting in wa is this it, in a couple of days so from saturday um it's going to be mandatory you're going to have an app called safe wa safe wa and and the rules are so weird it, it literally makes no sense and it's only just going to be for certain van venues like uh cafes so uh like from what i've read was cafes um hairdressers churches even um but no no mention of like when i go to my grocery store that it's going to be required you're going to have to check in with an app to say you were there um or write your name down if you don't have a f smartphone for whatever reason crazy um yeah well this is what's so funny like people could really freak out and start to think orwellian thoughts but it's just like well they might go ahead and destroy culture you know they might destroy and and that could be okay because we might build culture yeah. to know a new culture yeah. that could be better um free of corruption something of more yeah and something that's more like uh I, like yeah like i get what you're saying like something that's maybe that's just like unlimited po possibilities then there is isn't it? and yeah it can change in a moment's notice that's what's so crazy but it's but, also crazy and it's almost that... like anyone has a say now like whereas like you know culture before was like very like gatekeeper um yeah like you know you had like uh, i don't know the big review was like the late night television shows and now it's kind of like now it's more like um anyone can have basically um a late night television show if you've just got like a computer in a sense right mm -hmm. yeah you can get it's to that level of show. impact right <laughs> yeah. 
This is a daytime talk show. Yeah, it is, right? It's uh it's it is, it's daytime. You can fucking tune in to your day to your your smart TV has probably got YouTube and yeah, this is uh you can watch this instead of whatever else is on during the day. So we've got about six minutes left. Do we want to talk about Ethereum? Do you wanna help me oh, well yeah, what questions do you have? Help um, me understand what it is. So my understanding of Ethereum, and just so you guys know... I don't um, think I'm great at explaining it, but I'll give it my best shot. You, you get it, though, or at least it seems like you get it. So I think you have I a lot have, of... Information. I have another, yeah, I have a perspective on it. Yeah. And you have patience, so you can t- you can teach people like me who... Yeah, um, let's go six minutes. Six like, minutes. what do you... Like, I guess tell me where you're at and what you understand and what... Yeah. So my understanding is that... I, what I do you want to know? I hear the term smart contracts. So yeah. what that means to me is like in the past, you need a middleman to conduct like uh, business. So like, for instance, I could move into your house, Nick, and say, I'll agree to pay rent $300 a week and I would sign a contract. Um, and that would be like what that would be the smart contract or that'd be the binding that would say like, okay, this is in effect. But if we didn't have that contract, I could just decide like two weeks later, I'm not going to pay you anymore. And then you'll say, you gave me your word, and I'll just be like, "Yeah, well, see ya." My word now is goodbye. Mm. So and then, there's no yeah, nothing, you're saying. nothing's binding there. Um, sure, with a contract, you could say it is, but um, also as well, it's like the middleman who's the witness. So, like for instance, a real estate agent would go, "He's lying because you signed the contract. I was there." Um, so it's like a third party, and the third party kind of gives validity when it's he said, she said sort of thing. So if we were having an argument. The third party, in this case, the real estate agent. Maybe, maybe go, you could Nick's call the third right. party the, the oracle in a way, like because they are the source of truth in a way, or the in arbitral. A, in a sense, they're the witness. Yeah. So what I'm getting from Ethereum is that Ethereum is the witness and the contract. So Ethereum is the contract that's like, okay, yes, you've agreed to pay $300 a week to Nikola for rent, but it's also like we've witnessed this and we've made a record of this. So this record is code and this code is the law essentially. And this law states that Lee and did, Lee did agree indeed to pay $300 a week to Nicola. And that's the transaction and it's indisputable. It's final because it's written. Um, whether this code can be manipulated is where you, go, you know it goes beyond me. I don't know, but it seems like a more sophisticated way. It seems to be less biased because people can fluctuate whereas we're kind of giving our trust to this uh computer um so you know i I don't know the pros or the cons but like um i guess we don't know as a culture the ramifications of this technology until it is implemented but i guess why it interests me is that um there's a lot of talk about it and i'm curious about it because i'm looking at sites like um i think i mentioned it briefly last week how much of a waste of time i spent for three months uh, three guys living in this house trying to find a house and real estate agents just knocking us back, knocking us back, knocking us back because we don't look so good on paper. Um, mm. And then getting a house within an hour of using flatmates.com.au. So the example there is like, yeah, it's not Ethereum, but it's um, a third party, i.e. a website that cuts out the middleman and I can just connect with you and then we can agree to deal with rent. So I'm seeing how you know even Uber as well takes away the monopoly from the taxi business. Technology is revamping how we do things and it's pretty exciting and i'm really curious to like see how this unfolds so i think that's probably so that's what i understand ethereum Mm. to be but i understand also this like its own universe and that it could be so much more so maybe maybe you can i think you've explained it pretty well dude um i think one guy who's good at 
just um, explaining it is if if you if you look up uh, I, the thing that you just talking about. There was this uh, there's this guy called Lex Friedman. I don't know if I'm explaining his name, and he had um, George Hotz. This guy, he's like famous for like I don't know hacking the iPhone when he was like super young. Um, and anyway, they were talking about Ethereum, and I remember the way George described it was sort of like. Uh, basically like uh like a code like computer software is uh a lot more uh essentially binary in like the interpretation you can possibly have of that uh of what that code means um and what interprets that is you could think of python as like a programming language um and you write some python code and then there's like a python interpreter that interprets it and um there's like uh only certain ways that that can um be um interpreted um so basically like you can run python on like a raspberry pi that costs like 30 dollars and it will tell you um what like what its interpretation is of that code and that's significantly cheaper than um writing the code of the contract say in english right um english is not uh a language that is as and this is where i sort of uh, struggle to express myself because i'm not an expert in all different type of languages but let's just say um like Python is a lot more of a, um, I don't know, maybe logical is a, is a better word to describe it, um, language where it's like very black and white, where like if you think of that as like a subset and English is, it can be very vague and it can be very, um, uh, yeah, like I said, you write a contract in English and, 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 and we have a disagreement and then we're going to go to lawyers to interpret that and then it's right. and then we're going to go to a court and essentially why we pay the lawyers is uh not really to win for us but more so um to give us like uh a uh an indication and i think that what we want what most people want what most businesses is they want to know what the most likely outcome is going to be so you can then prepare for that right um so when you know what the likely outcome is even if you know you're likely to going to lose in court uh well at least you sort of know that so you you know you can prepare and like make decisions accordingly so yeah. i think like uh my explanation anyway is like uh, sort of like this paraphrasing of what I listened to someone say on YouTube is uh, essentially um, what Ethereum does is it allows us to make these immutable contracts written in code where um, the costs of uh, settling the dispute is a lot cheaper, right? Yeah, exactly. So, because we're out of time, but if I'm looking yeah. at my ball, I would see that like if we have this third party that can be a witness and can be the contract that's binded by code, um, it's going to get rid of a lot of middlemen. People like real estate agents could lose their jobs, um, like these taxi firms, you know, another great example. Mm. Um, it could shake things up. It could revolutionize things in a lot of way. We could see a completely different technology. It could become more advanced um, in terms of efficiency, effectiveness, um, but it would it would probably eradicate a lot of possession uh, uh, professions. Sorry, 
Um, and that would look interesting because, you know, at the end of the day of yeah, I get what you're, basically the point I sort of just want to interrupt you is yeah. like, well, coders co kind of take the role of uh, lawyers who write contracts, right? Right. Potentially. But then lawyers could lose their jobs, you know, and stuff like that. So if all lawyers lose their jobs or, you know, if, if a large quotient of the economy loses their job, um, what happens then? And I think we could probably end it on a cliffhanger, like as a question. Cliffhanger. Like, yeah, we don't need to have all the answers here, I guess, but like, even just thinking putting that question to existence what would happen if like we get advanced technologically to a point where most jobs or a lot of jobs become obsolete i guess we would adapt and evolve and uh, the way i see it is like it's better to free fall and to trust and have faith that as a human species we are evolving and we are getting more self-aware and we are learning and discovering better ways to live in this holographic universe and that's where my focus and intent is going so feel free to join me uh nick and everyone else as well like in uh putting out the good intentions for mankind for humanity and uh yeah stick around for next week's show next thursday and peace be with you have an excellent week do you have anything to wrap up on nick thank you for tuning in see you uh next week See you when we're looking at you.